The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. So as you're getting situated, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that has been very familiar to me since I was a child. And maybe if you grew up in a church environment that as a young child, you learned about the story, the parable, the event, um, but the telling of the Good Samaritan. So we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to begin in just a moment in verse 25. I knew the story of the Good Samaritan growing up, but as is often the case in when it comes to Sunday school and in children, I was told the story, but I wasn't and couldn't tell you the context behind it. I could tell you the story of a man that went to Jericho. He was on his way from Jerusalem and, and he was a mugged would be a, maybe a word we would use, but he was robbed and he was left to die on the side of the road. Two people walked by, passed by a third person that happened to be a Samaritan looked at him, bound up his wounds, and took him to an inn. And then often what would, I would take away from that is I need to be like that good Samaritan. I need to make sure that as I'm going through life, um, that I need to be a, a good Samaritan and uh, take care of those that are in need. And I could tell you the story, and we're going to read through it, and we're going to look and see not just the story, but the context surrounding it. And as we do that, I think we're going to come away with with a couple of insights that maybe we've not had in the past. And it's not new as far as no one's ever taught it before. But often when we come to familiar passages, we seem to kind of scan through it because we already know what's being said. In Luke chapter 10, the Lord didn't just pull this story out in in the middle of nowhere without any context at all. The Lord told the story in response to a very specific question from a very specific individual, and that individual had a very specific motivation behind asking that question. In Luke chapter 10, look in verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was not the first time you know that the Lord Jesus Christ has been tempted by those in the crowd. Of course, he was tempted in the wilderness, um, but he was also tempted by individuals as he was teaching and preaching and walking along the way or, or even sitting in a meal with people. There would be those that would ask him questions and the reason for the questions was not pure. The reason for asking the question was to, the scripture uses the word entangle him. In other places in scripture, it uses the word to trap him in his words. For instance, in Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees with the Sadducees came, tempting him, desiring that he would show them a sign. We have in Matthew 19, verse 3, that the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In Matthew 22, verse 17, they tempted the Lord in asking them, who should we give tribute, to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, 
ye hypocrites? Now, these are good questions. Lord, will you show us a sign? That's not a bad question. If one is asking with the sincere desire to learn, it's not a question, Lord, how do you view marriage? That's not a bad question to ask. It's a good question. And it's also not a bad question to say, should we pay our taxes or should we not? Those are good questions. But when they're asked in a way and with a motivation to trap the Lord in his words, the Lord, knowing the intents of the heart, responds in a way that not only teaches that individual, but those that are listening. So in verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up tempting him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is a great question. It wasn't the first time he was even asked this question. We had a rich young ruler that came asking him the same thing. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That question is not a bad question. But the reason why it was asked, the motivation behind why it was asked, was indeed wrong. He was tempting the Lord. But notice what the Lord says in verse 26. As is often the answer, the Lord responds to a question with a question. When asked, Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The response of the Lord was a question. What does the Bible say? We see that in verse 26. What is written in the law? How readest thou? Verse 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor is thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. You answered correctly. The words you're saying are spot on. You've answered correctly. There's nothing wrong with what you said. That is a right answer. So now, if this you do, thou shalt live. Look in verse 29, and here is the question that gives us the context for the, the event of the Good Samaritan, that story of the Good Samaritan, and here it is. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a great question, isn't it? Again, nothing wrong with the question, Lord, who's my neighbor? But notice the motivation behind it again was wrong. He's willing to justify himself. It reminds me a little bit of the rich young ruler when the Lord said, what are the commandments saying? Lord, and the rich young ruler said, all these things have I done from my youth up. It's a great question to ask, what shall I do? And this is a good question, Lord. I know that the law says to love the Lord and my neighbor as thyself, but he sought to justify himself. Well, why would someone seek to justify themselves? Well, the response to that is because he knew that somewhere in what he was living and how he was living, he was doing something wrong. He, was, he became defensive. He wanted to justify himself. Well, Lord, who, who's my neighbor? Surely you don't want me to love everybody. So Lord, tell me who is my neighbor? Now, notice he didn't ask, well, how do I love the Lord? Is the Lord worthy of loving? How can I love the Lord? The question was not, or the response was not loving God. Lo loving God was not an issue with him in his eyes. But there was a problem with loving people. Have you ever been there? 
It's easy to say, Lord, I love you. And, and even when things are contrary to me, I know the Bible says that you do all things and work all things for my good. And in Deuteronomy, tell me that you do all things for my good always. And so I, I know you're a loving God. I know you, you sent your son to die for me. And so I know going through this time, I realize that you love me. And so, Lord, I will continue to serve you. All your motives are pure. All your law is right. And, and you never make a bad call. There's never a bad judgment. You know the end from the beginning. And so, Lord, I love you because of who you are and how you take care of me. I love you. And so loving the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, I can do that. But people? Lord, to say to love people in general is a little difficult. Now, I can love certain individuals. But this lawyer sought to justify himself in that, well, Lord, who's, who's my neighbor for the lawyer, he didn't have an issue with loving God, but he was clearly defensive about how he was showing love to people. And when you and I are around people, we have many opportunities to show love. But it seems like the more people we're around and the multitude of opportunities to show love, we often don't use those opportunities. And we have no problem saying we love God, but I certainly don't like this person. I, we love God, but it's people we have a problem with. Well, First John helps give some answers to that. And we're not going to go there today. But you can see how this question reveals a lot about this man. This man wanted to know who is my neighbor, and he did so willing to justify himself. So the question's asked, and here it is, Lord, who is my neighbor? So you ask a question in class, you raise your hand, you ask the question of the instructor, the instructor listens, and then the instructor goes on to answer the question. Let's look at the answer. The Lord doesn't just say it, he gives a story. And now look in verse 30, and again, if it's familiar to you, I still want you to look in Scripture. As we look at the very words of this parable, of, of this event, of this account, we have the Lord describing and defining and illustrating in order to bring about in this man's heart the answer to this man's question. Who's my neighbor? How, how do I identify him? What does my neighbor look like? Verse 30, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. In verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. That's the parable. There it is. That's the story that we know so well from our childhood. The parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. So here it is. A certain man goes, this is what happens. And then we've got a Good Samaritan that comes. We're told in verse 33, a certain Samaritan. And, and so we title the Samaritan as good because of what he does. And so we have now the story of the Good Samaritan. 
In this parable, the Lord describes the first person as one who fell among thieves, was stripped of his raiment, was wounded, and was left half dead, we're told in verse 30. So when describing who our neighbor is, the Lord gives a description of one who was in a very dire situation. There's no question about it. And it doesn't matter what society, what culture, what time of history, somebody left half dead on the side of a road is indeed a very significant need that that person has. It transcends time, it transcends culture. Here's a man left half dead, uh, gasping for breath, nobody there, and was minding his own business. And so there was certainly something that was unjust by any standard of society and of culture. And his life was in the balance, and, and that was something that is completely universal in any culture and time. Here's a man who was mistreated and left half dead. So the Lord describes the one in need. But then he describes three people who walked by. The first in verse 31, we have the phrase, and if you look at verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. It was just happenstance. It was, it was just out of the blue. It was out of the ordinary. It was, it was by chance. And so the Lord here describing that this priest as he comes just so happens to be walking by that way. And notice in verse 31, the priest sees him. Now, we think this is a very cold-hearted person. If I saw somebody half dead on the side of the road and, and beaten, and, and if, if I saw that, then... I'd I'd certainly take care of him. But when you think about the way the story goes and the way the account is given here of the Lord, it was not uncommon. You pass by and go to the other side. You think, well, certainly certainly that's not a common thing. You and I don't have to read the newspapers very long or listen to the newscast very long to see people that are injured and people just walking right by, not doing anything. And here we have in verse 31, by chance there came a certain priest, a certain priest, this was maybe something out of the ordinary for him to go this direction. He had a place to go, people to see, things to do. And here's this man, and obviously this man was going to need a lot of care. He wasn't even inside the city limits. He was, he was outside the limits, walking between two cities. And so not only do I have to stop by and help him, then I got to take him somewhere. I can't just leave him here. And so I don't have time. Whatever the reason was, he saw him and the Lord said he passed by. We have no understanding of his motivation. The Lord simply stated that the man saw this fellow on the side of the road and walked by. We have in verse 32, a Levite doing the same. The Levite, we're told, at the same place came and looked on him and continued on. Then we have the certain Samaritan in verse 33. If you'll notice the phrasing given, the certain Samaritan came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion upon him. So there it is, one in need and three people who had opportunity to, uh, to, to help with the need. That's, that's the parable. Well, there's a problem with this. In the parable, the Lord describes one in need and three walking by, one choosing to stop and help. The problem is the Lord didn't answer the lawyer's question. The question, remember, of the lawyer was, who's my neighbor? The parable doesn't answer that. If it did, what would the answer be? If the parable was to answer the question, who's your neighbor? 
Well, it would be very clearly, it would be the one that had the need. And we have biblical support for that even. For whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 1 John 3, 17. What a powerful verse that is. I'll read it again. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It almost sounds like that verse in 1 John's a commentary on this very passage. It's not, but, but with the, the, the unity of Scripture is so beautiful there. So if the answer to the question of who's my neighbor is, is this one who's in dire need, well, there would be a, a biblical support for that. But there's other people who might be our neighbor. What if it's someone of the same religion? Scripture has that as well. And we see therefore in, verse, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, if we, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. So if this parable was designed to answer the lawyer's question, the Lord would have given three in need and one walking by, which was the neighbor. And then you were to choose who's the neighbor. Think about it. The question again, who is my neighbor? That parable makes it sound like the only person that's a neighbor is the one who's in need lying on the road. It didn't answer the question, who's my neighbor? Because three people walked by and only one stopped. So there's an indication here early on in this text that the Lord is not going to answer the lawyer's question the way the lawyer desires him to. Who is my neighbor? Well, it's the one who is half dead on the side of the road. Have you met a neighbor like that lately? I haven't. I haven't met someone like that on the side of the road. I haven't met that person. And then if we say, well, it was an extreme example, it's just somebody in need. Well, I know a lot of people that have needs. How about you? How do I choose which one is my neighbor? By asking the question, who is my neighbor? The lawyer is asking the Lord, Lord, who should I count as a neighbor? Who should I love? That's a tough question. And the question is in one sense redirected in verse 36. Look what the Lord says here with this parable, this account of the Good Samaritan, look what the Lord asks in verse 36. Which now of these three? Remember the question was, who's your neighbor? Well, Lord, why are you asking us about these three? These three are to be showing something to this person that's on the side of the road. Why are you asking us about these three? I'm asking who's my neighbor. And the Lord asked the question, now, which of these three thinkest thou? And here it is, which of these three was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Ooh, I wasn't, I don't know, Lord, I wasn't expecting that question. Or I want you to answer the question, who's my neighbor? I'm not ready to answer the question, who's the one that showed neighborness? If I could use that word. That's exactly what the Lord asked. And this lawyer was very quick in his response, very accurate in his response. In verse 37, after the Lord asked, now which of these three was neighbor unto him? 
The lawyer rightly answered, well, he that showed mercy on him. The Lord then answered and said unto him, go and do thou likewise. Ah, that wasn't the way this was supposed to go. The lawyer didn't want a commission to go out and do something. The Lord wanted, I'm sorry, the, the lawyer wanted the Lord to show him who he should love. The, Lord wanted, or the lawyer wanted the, the Lord to show him, Lord, what group of people is there that I should love that are my neighbors? You define my neighbor and Jesus of Nazareth, I will love them. Define my neighbor and I'll love them. Tell me who they are. Lord, we, we have a hard time coming up with a definition of who a neighbor is. And so tell us, who's my neighbor? And the answer that the Lord gives in verse 36 and verse 37 is not so much the answer of, to the question, who is your neighbor? But the answer to the question, the Lord is more concerned about him going out and being a neighbor. Now look again at verse 31 and you'll see the intent of this passage. The intent of this passage is not simply to go out and do good to those that are in need. Though that is definitely something you and I can take away. It's much more than that. Look in verse 31. And now with the understanding of this context, the Lord is driving to this lawyer. We see Jesus of Nazareth teaching here that the first person in verse 31 as he came down by chance, when he saw him, he didn't perform the function of being a neighbor because he passed on by. The Levite, when the Levite came in verse 32 and looked on him, the Levi was not neighborly to this man because the Levite passed on by. But in verse 33, we see the actions of the Samaritan. Not only did he came where he was, not only did he see the condition of the man, but he had compassion on him. And then in verse 34, the very end, he took care of him. Okay, this hits a little bit closer to home now. If you were to ask me who my neighbor is in a casual conversation, I would say they're the people that live on either side of me. Then the homes next to me, in, in my neighborhood those that live in my immediate vicinity, those are my neighbors. And so to, to do good to my neighbors, to, to be neighbor to them, would be to care for those that are closest to me because they're, they're within reach, I can care for them. But that's not where the, the, this uh, lawyer was coming from. The question is not who is my neighbor, that is a self-righteous question asked by one who sought to tempt the Lord. The question of who is my neighbor, that's a question that the world asks. The world asks the question, well, who should we be kind to? Well, we see this in the political realm. We see this in the, even in the religious realm, but we see this in the social realm. Who should we be kind to? Who should we be nice to? Who should we be neighbor to? Well, it's those folks that like us. It's, it's my followers. It's those who like the things that I'm doing. It's those who have invested in my life. It's those are the people that I need to show first and foremost kindness to. It's those folks that are like me. That's the way the world thinks. The world asks the question, who is my neighbor? A self-righteous, 
tempter of the Lord Jesus Christ asks, who is my neighbor? Again, that's what the world asks. Who should I be kind to? Who should I show compassion to? Uh, They're of a different political party. They don't get my compassion. Uh, They're of a different gender. They don't get my compassion. Uh, They're of a different country. They don't get my compassion. Uh, They're of a different neighborhood. They don't get my compassion. They, They have different hobbies. They don't get my compassion. I need to know who to be nice to. I need to know who to be kind to. This is what the world does, and it's divisive. Because those who are on the wrong side or have the wrong political affiliation or have the wrong skin color or have the wrong sexual orientation or who have the wrong social status or they have the wrong personality or they come from the wrong background, I don't need to be kind to those folks. When I go sit down on a bus stop bench and someone sits down next to me and it's obvious, it's obvious from just looking at them that they don't have the same convictions about life and about God's word that I do. They don't get my compassion. Well, I am no better than the two that saw and walked by. I think it's important, the Lord thinks it's important for us to understand that the one common action that all three of those who were here in this, in this story, this account, the one action they all had in common was they saw the one in need. Boy, what we see does affect us, doesn't it? When we see somebody who we think is like us, there's a natural drawing to that person. When we see that there's somebody that's obviously very different than us, There's almost a a repulsion depending upon the extent of differences. That's again where the world dwells. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't agree with me, then I have every right to not treat you correctly. That's where the world lives. What is the Lord teaching this self-righteous lawyer who's tempting him? The Lord is teaching him, instead of being concerned about who I show neighborness to, the Lord's concern is for me to be a neighbor. Notice again the action of the Samaritan in verse 33. He came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and then in verse 34, and took care of him. The Lord is more concerned, and and here is the gist of this text, the Lord is more concerned about you being and me being a caring and compassionate neighbor than identifying those for whom I can show and to whom I can show compassion and care. The question is not who is my neighbor, the question is who can I be neighbor to? The question is not going around and seeing who has the greatest need, but rather going around and seeing if there's a need and I can meet it, I'll be glad to do it. The Samaritan only showed compassion to the man beaten on the side of the, was not, I'm sorry, the Samaritan only showed compassion to the man that was beaten on the side of the road. But then as we look at the text further, he shows compassion to the host. Here's two pence. If it costs more than that, when I return, I'll repay thee. 
So the question for you and for me from this text is, who have you chosen as a neighbor? Nope, 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 that's not the question. The question is not who can you show compassion or who, who have you chosen to show compassion to? The question is not who is most like you or the question is not who is in the greatest amount of need. Can you imagine the burden that would be upon you and me? Can you imagine if it was left up to us who to determine to show compassion and care to? Well, it'd be the person in the prayer group that has the most dire request. That's who we show compassion to. Or maybe just to prove the world wrong, I'm going to go to the person that's most different from me and show compassion. Can you imagine the burden that would be upon us? Lord, have I chosen the right person to care for? Have I, shown, have I chosen the right persons to show compassion to? The Lord doesn't leave that burden up to us. No, the burden that the Lord gives to us is not in choosing who our neighbor is, but it's in choosing to be a neighbor to all that we by chance come across. It's choosing to be a neighbor when we go to a place and we look upon folks. It's choosing to be a neighbor as we journey and came to a place and come to a place where somebody is. We're not looking at others and determining, okay, on a scale of one to 10, there are nine on a compassion need. It's Lord, help me to be a neighbor to those that are around me. Do you realize the freedom that gives us? And now it doesn't matter the differences between me and somebody else. This Samaritan could very well have been taking care of a Jewish person. And we know the animosity between those two. It very well could have been that. But that didn't stop the Samaritan. The Samaritan saw a need and was neighbor to this person. Well, therefore, it doesn't matter what country a person's from. It doesn't matter what food they like. It doesn't matter what political affiliation they have. It doesn't matter what they believe about Scripture, what they believe about God when it comes to showing care and compassion. It doesn't matter their social status. It doesn't matter if they're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if they're from the north or from the south or from the east or from the west. It doesn't matter if they're tall or if they're short. It doesn't matter if they're in my major or not. It doesn't matter if they're in my room or not. I'm not called to identify my neighbor. I'm called to be a neighbor. You want to talk about changing the world and showing the world what Christ-like love is. The world says, no, you choose who you're nice to. The world says, no, you need to choose who you'll show compassion and care to. The Lord says, no, I'm far more concerned about you being a compassionate and caring neighbor than by identifying people you can be caring and compassionate to. It's not just a matter of semantics. For the child of God, it's a matter of being the right person in the sight of the Lord. Because when you and I take on the qualities of being a neighbor, when we come across those that do have need, that care and compassion is not based upon a criteria of how alike us they are and how much we enjoy them. Our care and compassion comes and flows straight from the one who was the very epitome of care and compassion. The one who sent his son and the words of the one who came 
to show love for the world by dying for the sins of mankind. So the question I have for you this morning, a very foggy, rough weather-like morning in Pensacola, Florida, will you desire and determine in your heart to be neighborly? Or will you and I continue to stick to the methods and the thinking and the philosophy of the way the world looks at compassion and care? Will you be one rather than choosing who you'll be careful and compassionate with? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.